This morning we will do a reenactment of the Last Supper. And there were so many things that went on during this last week. And we wanted to just touch on a few of them. And we're going to touch on a few more of them this week as we go through the week. But this morning we wanted to let you see and and once again experience what some of the things that Jesus went through on the last week of his life. And uh, I want you to see what the believers were going through and some of the things and some of the thoughts that were going through their minds. And when you watch this, usually what I usually figure out is that I see myself somewhere in here. And uh, I just ask this morning that you would just let the Lord speak to you and uh, let him uh, speak into your life this morning. These guys, I think, that are doing this program would be very much like Jesus' disciples, just ordinary guys who don't normally stand up in front of people, who get very nervous when uh, they are, and uh, they are nervous. But this is what Jesus' disciples would have been like. They're just like us. And so maybe, maybe don't always listen to everything. You need to listen to everything they say. But uh, listen to it in the heart that it is given this morning. I'm going to pray, and then uh, we're going to have the presentation of the Living Last Supper. Lord, we just need to hear you this morning, and we ask that you would speak and help us to have ears to hear. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Wait just a second. Now the festival of unleavened bread, called the Passover, was approaching. And the chief priests and the teachers of the law were looking for some way to get rid of Jesus, for they were afraid of the people. Then Satan entered Judas, called Iscariot, one of the twelve. And Judas went to the chief priests and the officers and the temple guard and discussed with them how he might betray Jesus. They were delighted and agreed to give him money. He consented and watched for an opportunity to hand Jesus over to them. When no crowd was present. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat at the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it? They asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room? where I may eat the Passover with my disciples. He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished. Make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. So they prepared for the Passover. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, My brothers, 
I have eagerly desired to eat of this Passover with you all before I must suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again before it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. This is my body, broken and given unto you. Do this in remembrance of me. This cup is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. But the man of him who's going to betray me is with mine on this table. The son of man must go as it has been decreed. But woe to the man who betrays me. They began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. Each asking himself, is it I? Is it I? I'm Nathaniel, sometimes called Bartholomew. And like many of the others, I'm a fisherman by trade. I was just John the baptizer, and he's the one that taught me about the teachings of Jesus and Bethany. I remember one day my friend Philip come running up to me and said, we found him, the one who Moses has wrote about, Jesus of Nazareth. I jokingly said, Nazareth, can anything good come from Nazareth? It's such a small, insignificant town. He just shook his head and said, come on, let's go see him. So as we arrived, Jesus walked up to me and said, behold, an Israelite in whom there's no guile. I said, how did you know me, Jesus? He said, I've known you since you've been under the fig tree. See, where I'm from, my mom worked in the fields, and she would take me out as a baby and put me underneath the fig tree so that the leaves would cover me from the scorching sun while she worked all day. So basically what the, Jesus was saying was that he had known me since I was born. It was then that I confessed my faith in him and said, you are the son of God, you are the king of Israel. And since that time, I followed him as one of his 12, one of his chosen 12 disciples. And now as he has a ceremony for us, he says that one of us will betray him. How can this be? We've walked together so long. We've all been great friends. How can somebody betray him? But then I look at myself and ask, is it I? Is it I? Like Zacchaeus, I'm a tax collector. Some call me Levi, and others call me Matthew. When my character changed through my fellowship with Jesus, he changed my name as well. He called me one day when I was in my office. Follow me, he said, and I rose and followed him. Later, I gave a great feast for him in my home, and many of his disciples and my business friends were present. When some of the Pharisees complained 
about Jesus eating with publicans and sinners, Jesus said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but it's those that are sick. Since that day when I repented and followed him, I've studied our scriptures closely, and I'm now convinced that he's a fulfillment of every prophecy about the coming Messiah, God's anointed. I've listened carefully to his sermons. Someday I hope to write a paper proving he is the Messiah. From our sacred writings and recording the heart of his sermon about the good news of the kingdom of God, the sermon he first delivered three years ago on the mountain in Galilee. It's a new gospel, good news for the whole world. And yet he has just spoken of bad news, of tragic news, that one of us will betray him. Who could it be? Will they suspect me because I was once a hated tax collector? Do I suspect myself? Is it I? Is it I? My name is James, but since it's such a common name these days, they sometimes call me James the Little or James the Lesser since I'm of lesser height than other men with the same name. My father's name is Alphaeus, so sometimes they just call me James the Son of Alphaeus. I will never forget the day I first saw Jesus. I was just walking along the road when I heard that John the Baptizer was in the area. I was very curious. I'd heard a lot about him, so <clears throat> I went down to see what was going on. That's when I saw Jesus. He made his way down into the water. And he asked John to baptize him, but strangely, John refused. Jesus insisted, however, and John agreed. When he came up out of the water, the heavens opened, and the Spirit of God descended like a dove. And then a voice was heard, said, This is my Son, in whom I am well pleased. Well, after that, I couldn't help but follow him. And then about a year later, he called several of, us, several of us to him up on the high place, and he named 12 of us to be his closest disciples. And he chose me to be among them. After that day, I never left his side. I walked with him. I talked with him. I stayed with him. I prayed with him. I did everything I could to learn everything about him and his teachings and about the Father's kingdom. And now here at this very table, he tells us, one of us will betray him. Well, that's, that just sounds like madness. How could one of us, the 12, betray him? And yet, I can't help but wonder, is it I? Is it I?
I am James, the brother of John. I followed Jesus with my brother after he called us while we were mending our nets by the Sea of Galilee with our father Zebedee almost three years ago. Our mother, Salome, was very ambitious on our behalf, and she urged us to press our desires upon Jesus. En route to Jerusalem last week, we made this request of him. So, teacher, let us sit one at your right and one at your left when you come into your kingdom. He said, you do not know what you ask. Are you to drink the cup that I am to drink or be baptized with the baptism that I am to be baptized with? We replied, Lord, we are able. Then he said, you will surely drink from my cup and we will be baptized with my baptism. But it is not my, in my power to grant the right or the privilege to sit at my right and left hand in his kingdom. The others were very angry when they heard of our request. And then Jesus reminded us that the one who goes first must be the servant of all. And then he demonstrated his words by washing our feet just before supper. And now the one who taught us the way of love is to be betrayed by one of those whom he loved? How can it be? How could one of us do such a thing? And I keep thinking deep down in my own heart, is it I? Is it I? I'm Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, the first man to bring his own brother to the Lord. I'm not a gifted man. I'm just an ordinary guy, just like any of you. But I've done the best that I could to serve the master with the gifts and talents that he's given me. The others, they call me Andrew the bringer, because it seems that all I've ever done is bring others to the Lord. I brought my brother Peter to the Lord, and then I've gloried in the gradual transformation in his life. I found the lad with the five loaves and two fish the day that Jesus fed the 5,000. And then just recently, some Greeks, they came looking for the master. And I was called once again to lead them to Jesus. He must have seen something of value in me, something that the others didn't see, because later I was named one of the 12 apostles. I've been very close to the master ever since. I may not have been in the inner circle like Peter and some of the others, but I wasn't in the outer circle either. I've been a friend and companion to my Lord. And now you say that one of us is to betray him? Who could survive such a thing in their own heart? Could it be Andrew? Andrew the bringer? Is it I? Is it I? All of the others came from Galilee. My home is in the village of Kerioth in Judea. So here I'm known as Judas of Kerioth, or Judas Iscariot, the only Judean in the group. The others must have had confidence in me because they elected me the treasurer. And Jesus surely must have believed in me because he chose me as one of the twelve. Some say that I have appropriated these funds for my own use and that Jesus' words about the love of money and greed were personally directed at me. 
Of course, I complained when Mary washed his feet with that expensive ointment and perfume, and I still think that was a waste of money. And if I have conspired with the chief priests, and if I have 30 pieces of silver on me, that's my business. I believe in Jesus, but someone has to force the issue and make him assert himself as God's Messiah. He refuses to make a move. Well, I have made one. He hints that he knows what I've done. He said so a few moments ago when he washed my feet. But I have my reasons. My soul isn't as black as some think it is. Nor your soul is white. Or yours too. And what would you do if you were me and wanted him to do something dramatic and startling to usher in his kingdom? And if you were in his place, what would you do? Should I ignore his remark? Or like all the others, should I piously and self-righteously ask myself, is it I? Is it I? Judas, quickly, go and do what must be done. My name is Philip. I came from Bethany in Galilee. While my friends and I were in Bethany listening to John the Baptist, he called us to become his disciples. So we all turned and followed him. I remember very well the day he fed the 5,000, the five loaves and two fish, asking him and the others, where are we to buy bread to feed all these people? Little did I know Andrew was already bringing a young lad and his lunch to Jesus. When the Greeks came and asked me for an interview with the master, I turned him over to Andrew, who led them to Jesus. When he began to tell us that God was our Heavenly Father, it was almost beyond my understanding. However, as I listened to the Master, I began to understand his words. In fact, I can almost say that he who has seen the Father has seen Jesus. And everything I'd want to find in the Father do I find in the Son. And now, having seen the Father through him, he tells us that someone is to betray us, to betray him? Does the traitor not know that in betraying Jesus, he is betraying God? And that conspiring against Jesus, he is conspiring against God? Can one of our number be so blind? Who could it be? Is it Philip? Is it I? Is it I? I am Thaddeus, one of the disciples whom Jesus chose to be an apostle. He chose 12 of us to be the cornerstones of the new kingdom, just as the 12 tribes were the cornerstones of the old Jewish kingdom. I feel unworthy to be numbered among the apostles, but he chose me. I well remember that day after a night in prayer. He called us to him, and he gave us authority 
over unclean spirits and the power to heal every disease and infirmity. He then commissioned us to go forth and preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He told us to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as he was sending us out as sheep amidst the wolves. It is enough, he said, that the disciple be as his teacher and the servant as his master. I was in Jerusalem when he gave that great invitation. Come unto me, all ye who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And now, he who came to bear men's burdens has a burden thrust upon him that one of us will betray him. Which one of us can it be? Who is the traitor? Or will all of us betray him before the night is over? Philip and Peter, Judas and John, or even Thaddeus, is it I? Is it I? I am Thomas, the twin, or Thomas called Didymus, which means twin. While I do not look upon life with gloom and despondency, I usually demand proof before I believe. I want to see before committing myself. Yet I am not a man of doubt. Rather, I feel sometimes that I am a man of daring. I recall the day when Mary and Martha sent word to the Lord that their brother Lazarus was dead. Jesus turned and said, let us go to him. We knew the growing opposition to Jesus and to some of the apostles didn't want to go to Bethany. They shrank from the unseen danger. Yet I remember how I spoke out and rebuked them all by saying, let us go with him that we may die with him. Why do people remember my doubts and forget my daring? Remember the questions that overlook the affirmations? Remember my fear and forget my faith? I used to go fishing with some of the others, and how well I remember the Beatitudes. He spoke on the horns of Hatton during the first year of his public ministry. And I can almost see him rebuking the winds on stormy Galilee, healing the sick, curing the diseased, opening the eyes of the blind, unstopping the ears of the deaf, cleansing the lepers and preaching the gospel to the poor. Yet opposition has developed and his enemies are determined to destroy him. We could make, he could make us God's servants while they would make God their servant. And now he says that even among us, the chosen 12, there is a traitor. Is he speaking of me? Is it I? Is it I? After Jesus called Peter and Andrew, he came to me, John, and my brother James. We were in our boat, mending our nets with our father Zebedee. As soon as he called us, we immediately left our father in our boat and followed him. 
I have under, tried to understand Jesus by loving him. I believe he is as much God in human form as has ever been seen. I have also tried to love him as a person, and he's returned that love to me. Sometimes he refers to me as the beloved disciple. I've shared many of his trials and victories. I was there on the Mount of Transfiguration when we all beheld his glory. Peter and I helped prepare this Passover meal this evening because we are considered to be in his inner circle. It was me that he told about Nicodemus and when he said those wonderful words, so God's, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. I hope someday to write down some of his sayings and many of his wonderful deeds so that others may read it and by reading it believe that he is the Christ, the Son of God, and by believing they will know that they can have life in him. But he just told us someone will betray him. I can't believe it. But it must be so or he wouldn't have said it. Surely it's not Peter or Andrew or my brother. Could it be John, the beloved disciple? Is it I? Is it I? I'm Simon the Zealot. Before Jesus called me, I was a part of a group of hot-headed, bloodthirsty revolutionaries known as the Zealots. We were all for an armed rebellion against Rome. We believed in crushing our enemies under our heels and establishing the former glory that was Israel's in the days of David and Solomon. Jesus told us of another kingdom, the kingdom of the human heart, where God reigns supremely. Since I heard this, I have changed my mind and my allegiance. He has shown me that the conquest of the heart is the only true, lasting, and sincere conquest. So I have given him my highest loyalty and my deepest devotion. I have, in military terms, given unconditionally and completely surrendered my life to him. This surrender has not imprisoned me. Rather, it has set me free for the first time in my life. Rome is mighty, but God is almighty. I'm not afraid of Rome any longer. Now the master says that there is a spiritual Roman among us, one who would attempt by force what can only be conquered by love. Who could it be? Matthew, the publican? Or does he suspect me since I am the only former zealot among us? Is it I? Is it I? My brother Andrew and I were out fishing one day on the Sea of Galilee, casting our nets out into the sea. When Jesus came by and he said, follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. So immediately we, we dropped our nets and, and we followed him. Not long after one morning he came by and he said, Simon, I want you to go out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. I told him, Master, we've toiled all night and we've caught nothing. Yet at your word, I will let down my nets. You know, we caught so many fish. We had to call the boats all around us to come help us with the catch. By the time we got back to shore, I'd, I was just so humble, all I could do was just fall at his feet and beg him, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. 
But that's when he told us that from here forward, he would make us fishers of men. As a matter of fact, he even changed my name from Simon to Peter, which means the rock. And then later when I confessed him as the Christ, the son of the living God near Caesarea Philippi, he said, upon this rock, I'll build my church. But it was just a few moments after that when I was protesting him talking about going to Jerusalem and dying at the hands of evil men that he rebuked me and he said, get thee behind me, Satan. I am a mixture of good and evil, of godliness and devilishness. Tonight when he said one of us would betray him, I said, not so, Lord, not I, not me. I'll follow you even unto death. But then he had a warning for me. He said, tonight before the cock crew twice, I would deny him three times. Deny him three times. You know, these guys see me as the big fisherman, but in his presence, I seem so small and unworthy. Will I deny him tonight before the rooster crows? If I do, what will he do? Will he disown me? Will he deny me? Will he close the doors of his kingdom to me? Was he talking about me tonight? when he said, one of you will betray him. If I knew who that scoundrel was, I'd pierce him through the heart with his knife. But then what if it's my own heart that I'm to pierce? God, grant it not be so. But I still can't help but wonder, is it I? Lord, is it I? Father, I still don't think they understand. Judas had betrayed him, and the rest of the disciples had deserted him. Peter had denied him three times, and they had all missed what he was trying to say. In the excitement of the week, in the excitement of being part of something special, maybe it was the lure of power or 
whatever it was, had turned their motives away from what he wanted into what they had wanted themselves. They had turned toward themselves and away from God. They had missed it. And they weren't the only ones. That week of Passover would have been a great week of celebration in the city of Jerusalem. It would have been full of people. There was two and a half. They think there were probably two and a half to three million Jews in the city that week. It was a time that the family would get together. It was a time of celebration. It was a time of food. It was a time of people enjoying one another. It would be much like our Christmas or Thanksgiving, something like that, except for it was a week long. And it had been set up many, many years ago for that time to celebrate when the Jews had been released from Egypt, when Moses led them out of slavery. It was a time to celebrate God freeing them from slavery. But over the years, the celebration of Passover had turned into something that was a time for making money, a time for manipulating people, and the people that had been part of the ceremony, it had become changed and it had become different from what it was designed to be. The celebration that was designed to remember who God was, was forgotten and they missed it set the celebration for a gathering of all these followers to come together it was called Passover and that was what was going on this week that Jesus died and it had started out as a celebration of God's release of his people from slavery but it had turned into something else it was mostly just a celebration instead of for God it was enjoyed by the people for themselves the people of that day missed what God was doing that week. They missed what God was trying to say. Jesus, as we have seen in this portrayal this morning, had sat down with his disciples and during this time up to this very moment, he had over and over and over again, he had told them what was going to happen. He had warned them about what was coming. He had said, this is what's going to happen. He was trying to prepare them. But by the end of the week, One had betrayed him, one had denied him, and all had deserted him. Fear of man had overcome their fear of God, and they had deserted their dearest and best friend. He had poured in them for years, and poured into their life, and ministered to them, and spoke truth into their life for years, and they deserted him. And they missed what he was trying to say. We read God's word and on the back end as we watch this story and as we watch these guys in our minds, I think we probably think to ourselves, well, I I would have never done that. But the truth is we desert God for far less than what they did. We think to ourselves they were his closest friends and they were the closest followers that he had. And as I have read this and as I have watched this this week as we've practiced and as I've been in the word, it becomes very clear to me that those who are closest to Jesus are sometimes the ones who can miss it. And if these disciples who were closest to him, who were walking with him, who were staying with him day and night, if they can miss what he is trying to say, then it is very possible 
that I can miss it too if I'm not careful. If I'm not watching, if I'm not listening, if I'm not preparing my heart, if I'm not in communion with him all the time, if I'm not watching my motives, I too can miss what Jesus would say to me. And it's pretty easy during this time of the year to roll through the week before Easter and miss what God is trying to say. It's pretty easy to come on Resurrection Sunday morning and eat breakfast and go through a service and get done with that day and really have no idea what you've been celebrating. It's easy to do that. And Satan would love for us to be so busy and so so, uh, involved in life that we forget what Jesus is trying to get us to remember. A few years ago, we decided to make a purposeful effort as the church to slow down and take time to try to listen together, just us, as a family, as a church body. We decided that we would set aside Holy Week to try to listen as the body to what Christ would have to say to us during this time. And we set aside Holy Week for every night to try to remember and worship and study and listen to God together. I want to encourage you this week to set aside as many evenings as you can to come together as a family and worship and listen and learn and remember together. To take, and it takes effort to do that. It takes time. It takes moving your schedule around to maybe see what God would have to say. To make this week about him and not so much about ourselves. It's one hour an evening to just come together and listen together as a community. Let's just be honest, you'd probably just be watching TV anyway. And it's just one hour that you won't have to watch TV. It's one hour that you might listen and The truth is, I believe that God might speak into your life new truth that you've never heard before. This week we will celebrate together. We will worship together. We will learn together. And we will remember together. And I want to challenge you as a church this week. Do not miss what God would try to say to you in this whole week. It's not just about Resurrection Sunday. It's about what God would might try to say to you this whole week. Our services will start tonight. Our services of trying to listen and learn together and worship together starts tonight. And we're going to gather as the family. And we're going to have a great time of prayer and worship. And we're going to usher ourselves into what we're going to be talking about this week, preparing ourselves for the week of being together as a family, listening together what God would say to us. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't miss it. Listen to me this morning. Don't miss. They got done and they had been there and Jesus said, I just don't think they understand. This week... I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you to set aside as many evenings as you can. Not that they're anything that you probably haven't heard before, but just a time that we come together as a family to listen 
and learn and rejoice together and worship together and just hear what God might want to say to us as a family. I want to encourage you this week. Don't miss what God would want to say to you. I want us to stand. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you. Thank you for the message that our men have brought to us this morning. Father, I pray that this week that we, like the disciples, would search our own hearts. Father, are we denying you at some place in our life? Is there some part of our life that we deny you and we keep you out of? Is there some place in our life that we are not giving you full reign? And Father, I pray that just like each one of these disciples this morning, that we would search our hearts this week with, with judgment day honesty. I pray that this week that in all of our busyness, and I know there's all kinds of things going on, but Father, I pray that this week that we as the church would say, we will set aside a few nights, as many as we can, to hear what God might want to say to into my life this week. And Father, I pray this for myself. I want to hear you. I want to hear what you would say into my own heart, my own life. Father, I pray that you would help me in any place in my own life where I would keep you out, where I would deny you. And Father, shine that light, your light of holiness upon us this week. Father, we thank you for these fellows that, that shared the message of Jesus with us this morning. I pray that you would bless them and that your hand would be upon them and their families. And we thank you for the time they put into this. Father, help us this week to not miss you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's pray the prayer of Jabez.